are listening to the Jersey Guys Podcast, the show that talks about hard rock, heavy metal, AOR, and West Coast music. In-depth conversation and special guests are always on tap, so settle in and turn it up. Now, here are your hosts, Tom and Mark. Hey everybody, Mark from the Jersey Guys podcast here. I'm here with my co-host Tom Coyne as always and we're back today with a brand new episode. Today we have special guest Joshua Parahia from the band Joshua, a great Christian 80s hard rock AOR band, released some really classic albums uh, in that genre. Uh, The number one album probably being Intense Defense from 1988. Uh, It was a great album. Uh, He's always had some great singers throughout the years. And uh, we talked to Joshua about all the different incarnations of the band and uh, some other stuff that he's got going on today. So uh, it was a great interview. And uh, let's get right to this one. Joshua Parahia. Hey, Joshua, thanks for joining us here on the Jersey Guys podcast. We appreciate your time tonight. Pleasure. Thank you so much. So I know Tom was a big, uh, big fan of, of your, you and your music. Um, but what we like to do on our podcast is we, we do like to kind of cover uh, an artist or musicians, you know, we have on as a guest, we like to cover their whole kind of career. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off and ask you, how did you get into playing guitar and how did you, you know, start getting involved in bands? Well, the music thing is, uh, comes from my mom and dad, the being a uh, very, very devout Greek. Um, I'm the first born in this country and barely made it. <laughs> I was almost born there, but, um, they just played Greek music all the time. And uh, we didn't have any rock and roll. We weren't allowed to ha- listen to anything like that. They were really against it. Very conservative, very conservative Greek, very religious. And so they forbid me to listen to it. So all I ever heard all day long was the bazooki, which is the the Greek uh, version of their guitar, like uh, Russia would have the kithara. So I just really got into that style of um, playing. And the Greeks play so lightning fast. I mean... Literally, Greek players right now are, are jamming with Al Di Miola and other really uh, fast members uh, of other bands. Uh, they just love Guitar Heroes. They love real fast picking, and they do it so cleanly that I was really inspired uh, listening to it all the time, and I couldn't take my ear off the sound of the of the bouzouki. So I just got into it by five years old. I was already picking up ukuleles and stuff and trying to duplicate what they were doing, and uh, it just got me into playing really, really uh, you know fast uh, arpeggios and anything in that interest, uh, moving also probably the classical music and then hearing uh, more of the Germanic uh, guitar style with uh, those kind of modes, Lady and Dorian mode. And um, I just got into that kind of guitar sound uh, where the speed is really, really important. Of course, I got older and I got more into taste and uh, by my teens and stuff and to play a little bit more, more with, with more sense. But um, it was the Greek music, basically, is uh, was a big uh, push for me to, uh, to continue that with my music, too. And I, I think I've done a pretty decent job of, of being inspired uh, with my Greek roots in a lot of my songs. Like even the first album, the first song, Broken Dream, where it's got the very nice uh, Dorian mode and Lydian scales. I put that into with, with harmony guitars. Yes. 
when did you say, hey, I want to I want to do music and I, I want to start. I want to get into a band. I want to start a band and start playing, you know, rock music. How, how did that kind of come about? That had to be top secret because of my mom uh, suspected that I was going to do that. Not my medical school, because I went all medical school throughout my life. It started from basically even my first grade. I had to, I was in private school and you had to give your majors back then. And I did. And I went for the medical thing. Of course, mom said, yes, of course, it's going to be the medical, only the medical and nothing else. <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just, um, I couldn't tell her anything about it. So I was, uh, I got into um, pre-dentistry, excuse me. And um, that had to be all of my time, uh, full-time homework, always working with a homework. And she's coming to check, to see that my homework was great. But two or three hours before she'd get home, I'd grab my guitar and start playing as much as I could before they got there. Uh, they weren't going to be mean or cruel or anything, but I wanted to be what she called me, the apple of her eye with our family and uh, with other brothers and stuff. So I, I, I hid the guitar, but in my heart, I always knew that, I don't know, this is going to be in my life somewhere. This is going to be a big part of my life if the dentistry thing doesn't pan out and uh it was always there. I think from a little little boy, I knew I was going to do something with my guitar and uh, couldn't come out and say anything, believe it or not, till I was out of college. Oh, wow. It was that. Yeah, my mom, she, she cried for probably three or four days, nonstop crying. Yeah, when I told her on the phone, I didn't have the heart to tell her to face, Mom, I'm, I'm not going to be a dentist, Mom. I don't care for it anymore. It's not in my heart. And I didn't even get the word heart out before she, I stirred, heard the most awful tear jerking crying from her and and, oh, wow. uh, did break their heart, yeah. So, uh, but it was uh, funny when they came to my first show as Joshua. They flipped. They didn't. They didn't know how extensive it was with the screens popping down behind us with, with all kinds of really nice graphics and and uh, it's kind of cartoonish with hands in there. My my brother got into some heavy uh, stuff with uh, making backdrops and lightning going through my fingers and stuff like that. We use that in our shows and. So um, she was just plastered watching uh, the sound of the band, uh, the, the music, the group members, how great the band members were. And I think that that really got into both their hearts. They, they became my biggest fans. Nice. So talk about those early days. You were basically when you started the, the Joshua Band, you were on the kind of the L.A. circuit, right? Doing the, the club scene down in L.A.? Yeah, I was always playing guitar in little groups I put together just for, for uh for money, I, I called it car money because I'm also fanatically nuts about cars. It's uh, it's it's like 100% for the music. It's 95% cars, drag cars, anything that's powerful and loud. And, and I got into it mechanic wise, so I yeah, I did hurt my hands a lot, but I still played. But um, yeah, just uh, I would play gigs, outdoor gigs. I would book uh with members that you might have known, guys like Mark Dubay. Uh, he was with me from Survivor. And uh, so a lot of uh, well-known other bands probably leave their names out, but um, all the guys are, went on to uh, big things. And we would play some shows, and they would all just say, you know, give me a hundred bucks, and I give each a hundred bucks, and I kept the rest. Uh, you know, we made fifteen hundred, uh, two thousand bucks a night in uh, outdoor patches, uh, like a truck patch we played at, and there was almost two thousand people there. And so I did a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, I would just jam around and and just start to get to, in my mind. Is there a way that you can actually make a living and buy home and buy, you know, and take care of a family with the music business? Because uh, a lot of people would tell me, oh, it's the Beatles or this big band or that big band. There's no chance for anybody else. The music business is so small. 
how are you going to make a great living and you know your family and all that they they're going to look at you to see that you want to be a success and so uh, I, I saw that there was money in something like this where I could take care of a family. And um, so that uh, kind of pushed me in the right way that I, I was always really good at uh, earning a good living to take care of myself and pay my bills and go to college at the same time. And so I kind of did both. And um, that was the kind of the beginning of Joshua. I, I, only, I was only in one other band called Blind Al for a while and a year and a half. And uh, they're just we didn't mesh. Uh, with what their beliefs were and what my beliefs were. So I just, you know, I thought in my mind, you know, I'm going to start this band, Joshua, and we're going to do things the right way. And there's not going to be any, no drinking allowed or no this, no that. We're going to be just American apple pie, solid conservative music, and I'm going to have it my way and I'm going to be the leader. And when the, anything naughty comes up, I'm going to put an end to it really quickly. And and it just, it always stood, stood so powerfully in my heart before I, I even got born again. I mean, I was a Christian as a Greek Orthodox, a Christian, but, um, you know, then the, it really changed when I got born again in 83. And I just decided to put it into the music, too, because my first album is a secular album. I I never uh, hide that. The, the little bit of Greek Orthodox influence comes out in a message I wrote on there. This is dedicated to the glory of God. But I was by no means uh, uh, you know, I was still a man of the world and, and not. A devout Christian at that point in my heart, and all my friends told me, "Oh, sure you were. You're you're Greek, and all Greeks are Greek Orthodox." And but it wasn't enough, you know. With all, all due respect to my my faith and my family and our our roots where we come from, it wasn't walking that straight line that I believe that uh, that musicians should do if they're really going to dedicate to God. And uh, I saw a lot of other Christian bands I will never mention that I don't think they have that at all in them. That they, they were walking the 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 unsavory wire is so to speak where I saw a lot of shenanigans going on, but they're hiding it. And I didn't ever, ever I never wanted my band to be that way. I didn't want our band to be say one thing for to, to get Christian money and, and Christians built in audience that just comes running to you. And they just think that you're God or, or a believer in God, but they're not really walking the straight line that you should as a Christian because other people see it and they're, and they're thrown off. And I never wanted to be, that kind of a guy. I wanted to be straight through. And there's no drinking, no drugging, no carousing. You know, keep the ladies out of the band and all that stuff, and uh, not not on stage. And um, that was my big thing to start Joshua, and that, that made it the hardest part because, believe it or not, uh, with the guys that we had in our group, I still had tremendous problems with other guys and their and their um, lack of stability toward the Lord in the Bible. I just think there was so much compromising. And I saw it in a lot of bands we played with, especially one in particular I will not mention, but they they were doing some really naughty things and they even played some jokes on us that were pretty mean. So that's when my heart, back in the 80s, early 80s, I started to think, are there any such thing as a Christian band? I mean, are there, I know we're all human beings. I'm not judging anyone else, but it really is a responsibility because um, once I ran a... a a suicide hotline that really changed me. I see how kids are really got problems that are really tough and hard, and because maybe they didn't have the parents I had that were on me every second, and I loved it in my face. Yeah, toe the line, and you're not going to do this, and you're not going to do that. You're not going to go out at night and be with the bad people. So, um, you know, it's uh, I loved it. I loved it, and I just wanted to share that with other people, but maybe they didn't have that kind of family. So um, in my heart, I just wanted Joshua to, to walk down that straight road. And 
it did cost us a lot of fighting, and that's why I had six different lineups <laughs> in, all, in all the years. I don't think it's fair for people to say, oh, he's just a Nazi or something. No. But when it comes to the bad stuff, I just would tell a guy, you know what? I just don't think we're working out anymore. Yeah. And that's why, yeah, there's six different lineups in the band. <laughs> <laughs> well, oddly enough, we've done recent episodes lately with quite a few Christian metal rock bands. We did uh, uh, Jerome Mazza, who was in the band Angelica. Uh, we, oh, did, yeah. we did an episode with um, Holy Soldier. Uh, yeah. We did an episode with the band Mass. And uh, we've had a lot of conversations about this. This could actually be something at the end of the episode we'll talk more about. Because I always wondered who was real and who wasn't real. And I don't want to turn the episode into, you know, us say, but, you know, like I always felt there were certain bands that were legit and certain bands it was a little bit of shtick and gimmick, you know, to, you know. Yeah, pull in that that Christian audience. Like right, right. So it's, it's interesting what you're saying because it kind of ties in with these three different episodes we did with Christian artists where we did discuss all of this at length. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that, yeah, that's a good word, the shtick and the gimmick. Uh, everybody who knows me knows me well. I've really got a problem with it. I mean, if we're going to be called apart and even use the name Jesus in our in our mouths while we're on stage, uh, my pastor, Hal Lindsey, he taught me, you know, watch out how you mix the two. Your job and, and your belief in Jesus Christ are two different things. You can share it if, if the point comes to do it, but you don't want to turn people off or slap them in the face. So, you know, when guys are going out there and they are proclaiming his name, if you say anything like you're taking God's name in vain to sell an album cover or anything, come on. I, I don't think there's going to be any argument with any real believer and somebody who took the different courses I have. I've been proud to take a lot of intense studies and um, anything that a Jesuit priest would even be expected to take, let alone going out there and saying you're uh, you're a born again Christian and you believe in God. And then you just write anything you want. I hear bands that they sound like the Satan when they're squawking. And, and screaming and yelling, uh, come on, uh, I think that's even compromising. And then, you know, saying things, taking God's name blasphemously and putting on an album cover. Boy, I got uh, I got my fighting boots out on that one. And that one really came back in my face to see how many people got angry at me for standing up against that. And that did start a little, uh, little war bet, between yeah. somebody else. And then that other band went and sicked all of his fans on us. And so I got like a thousand death threats and I say, hey, come on over. We're waiting here for you, you know, but you know, we should be on the same page. That's all. And it's, it's, it's a very broad page. Let's just be, let's be respectful toward one another. That's a, a basal law. Just be respectful for one another. And, and when I see that kind of meanness, I say it is not fully in all the bands that they say that they are. And, to do it, it's a hard line to toe. Don't bring up God's name unless you are going to be a priest. That's what I feel in my heart. If I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. The Lord will tell me if I've been wrong, but he's blessed me so much in both the, the automotive world as well as my music world, which is my, my other life, like I said. And uh, if if God wanted me out, and I've made it an awful lot of years here. I'm an older guy and, uh, and I'm still healthy and strong. I have a beautiful family, and I think God's been on my side. He loves what I'm doing. I'm still recording and work, working with some of the best artists in the world. And uh, I think that finds favor in God's eyes. That I've, I've gotten respect from guys in Santana and Journey, Foreigner, Kansas, Boston. I've gotten respect back from all of them. They love what I do, and they, they see you're a stand-up guy. And then I show it in the studio, too. And they, 
they see when there's no camera around, there's nobody in press, they still see it there. And um, Alex Ligerwood, the singer of Santana, he was moving my pedal board, getting on his knees and moving my gig while I was recording. He came into the room to help me out because I was having a hard time with my pedal board. That guy was on his knees helping me. And I could, you know, he's one of the platinum singers in the world. He's down on the ground. Just showing me the respect he had, brother. You're all right. And he gave me a nice, you know, sh- handshake. And man, you're killing in there. You're killing. It was sweet, man. It was wonderful. So I just know it's the right way to be without bloviating too much. I'm sorry, but. Yeah. I think it's a very important thing in my heart that we that we live and learn and, and act on stage as we do uh, behind the scenes. And uh, I don't see it in all the other bands, so I'm, I'm not going to bum out anybody any more than that. It's just that I want to tell fans out there, watch what you hear and listen to. When, just because they say they're a Christian band doesn't mean they're a Christian band. You know, the, everybody's human and everybody has frailties, and we fall short, so... Just be aware of that so that, you know, they don't help you to have an excuse as to why you should start compromising, you know, with funny clothes or, you know, things that show every part of the man's human anatomy. That is not right. It's not right. You know, I don't want to be Kiss. I don't want to be Motley Crue. That's not my thing. I don't think it has any place in the in the world of, uh, with the Lord. This, the two should not meet. We should be separate. I like that, being separate from them. You know, we're on the surface a very short time, really short time. And I sure don't want to get the, the almighty angry at me for, for, for stupid stuff. It's not worth it. For, money's not worth that. can always make money doing something else. So I sure don't want to go out there and make a fool out of the, the gospel. That's for sure. So I wanted to take you through the first album. I had a couple of questions with this. Um, how did you get hooked up with uh, terrific singer Stephen Fontaine? How did the album cover, which is one of my, to this day, was still one of my favorite album covers. Me too. Me too. Great yes. album cover. It has, it's still one of the best. And just bring us through the songwriting process, who your uh, influences were for this album, how you gotten hooked up with Fontaine as your lead singer, who did a terrific job. And just uh, take us through this album. Well, the the influences would be the greats, Richie Blackmore, one of my favorite. Uh, Yes, Carlos Santana, uh, another good friend of mine, Neil Sean. Uh, We sound very much alike, I believe. And I I didn't really realize it until I worked with Keith Olsen, who was a producer of Journey and a million other bands. And he stopped me in the middle of one of my solos. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I go, yeah, Keith, what's going on? Am I playing poorly? No, man, no. I just want, do you know Neil Sean during my solo, Keith, really? He goes, yeah, I got to ask you why. And he says, because um, I don't know where you begin and he ends or you guys sound like the exact same guy to the T. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Neil, Neil was just a big influence. We did his early Santana stuff that he did with us. Screaming wah-wah guitar it was just so incredible not to have more than one pedal on and have the guitar have a technique like that. And I don't think people give him enough credit. Uh, he's a guitar great that I never hear about. And uh, he's just a threatening guitarist. Oh, awesome. Yeah. But uh, and then, uh, of course, Richie and um, uh, my German influences uh, with um, Uli John Roth. And then we got um, um, Michael Stanker. I got to be good friends with him and, and vice versa. He he heard about my plane and really liked my plane. I liked his. So it's kind of we met in the middle. So uh, and he worked with uh, my second singer, uh, Jeff Van Holden. We just kind of became this little family. But um uh, but uh, mostly with Santana and Cream, uh, Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton only in the first album. I don't know what happened to him after he got out of Cream, but um, he just got too light and country and western for me. But uh, that first Cream album, 
is just amazing. It's you didn't like amazing. blind. You didn't like blind faith. Uh, not really. Yeah, I, say I like Blind Faith a lot. Yeah, well, I, their songs are great. I just for the guitar playing, I really like the Strange Brew and uh, all the other songs on that album that were just uh, a, a new place. I mean, you know, I'm a little kid now. It's 1960, what, 6, 67. And to hear that the first time, I'm, whoa, why did he get that sound? So, um, and that became tone became uh, around, around then, tone became a real important thing for me. And then Richie just finished me off with the, his exact playing and hitting every single note without missing a note. And Don't play fast unless you get there. Then right after that came Al Miola, and wow, that was it. Once I got on uh, with Al Miola, I got into a lot of ethereal music and jazz as well as the rock. But Al Miola is like this great jazz player that uh, should be in only heavy hard rock bands because we got to have that kind of perfect picking and, and sensibilities that he has on the guitar. So that molded me along with the Greek. Still, I was there to play the really nice, like Uli John Roth has exact same influences. Uh, the first, uh, one of the first guitarists in Scorpion, Scorpions. Um, well, he has a lot of that Arabic, uh, Egyptian yeah. type of tones yeah. to his playing. Uli. Yeah, the Greeks would say that they were there if they were before the right. Egyptians. <laughs> well, like, that's true. Yeah. yeah, but Lydian and uh, Dorian scales like that. Sure, absolutely. But um, so then, as you said about the cover of the album, I just I love that cover is a really great guy as an artist. Uh, my brother uh, really got involved with him doing art, other artwork for the band, Tyrone Huntley. And we s spoke about what can we come up with a, a first album. And my brother thought it was really important that we put it around my guitar playing speed rather than the melodic song. I said, no, the melodic music, man, the writing. No, no, no. Everybody's going to know you're a great writer. But instead, let's go for the speed. And the hand is quicker than the eye. That kind of came up at the same time. Everyone like thought of it. And so we got the hand on there that's uh, wiggling away and with, with the guitar. And of course, we have the bust that on the other side of the album, you see the, the bust is busted from the guitar playing. So it's kind of cute. And we used it in some of our um when a screen would come down behind the band before we would come out, it was an intro thing. And we used the soundtrack from Star Wars that we got a permission to use. And um, you hear the electricity and all that with uh, really eerie music. And it's a, it's a really beautiful thing I'm trying to, to resurrect and put uh, get on some of my social media stuff to show what we were into back then. Because I didn't want to use gimmickry ever for the group. And I would never dress a certain way or put on funny colors or look like a little clown. So we had to use other things that I thought were more, I don't know what I'm looking for, more passable, more submissive, more, you know, without being bombastic or, or clobbering people over the head. Come and look, I need to shock you so you'll fall in love with our band. I wanted to always be about the songs. So Tyrone uh, helped put that album together. And uh, I sure wish we had more album covers that were more like that. Uh, Me we too. Yeah, it was. Re I, I remember at the time it was actually how I got into the album. I, I saw the album cover. I wasn't familiar with you or the band yet, and it just looked like something that was really cool. <laughs> and that's how I bought it. And um, the song "November is Going Away" is is my favorite on the album. And, Me too. Uh, yeah, it's just a tremendous song. Could you tell us how you came up with that? Yeah, again, my family, uh, the way that uh, I thought was always a different love my, my mom and dad had for me is uh, we were eternally loved by our parents, uh, me and my brothers, uh, just uh, always worried about us, where we're going, what we're doing, uh, you know, be good guys, 
be a, you know, love the Lord, watch what you do. It's a, it's a tough place. We weren't living in exactly the best neighborhoods in LA. Um, we brought over from war torn Greece and uh, it was just after they had a civil war. My parents just knew they had to get out of there and, and coming over here. Uh, so they were worried that things like that can happen here, which of course not at all, but we were in a tough neighborhood and they just wanted me to be nice and safe and not get into any dastardly things that could happen to somebody. And um, because of my, my relationship with my family and uh, the love that I got, I thought what my mom and my dad did was more than just loving us. It was uh, always just such a, a surrounding of uh, where are you going? What are you going to do? Uh, this and that. And, and just, you know, be home at this time and uh, don't do this, don't do that. So uh, my life as a child was filled with love every day. That's where the song started. I had it already uh, in the pre-chorus written first. And then just the rest of the song kind of went that way. It's uh, something that really affected Europeans, uh, Japan, Asia. They're into that kind of very philosophical, melodic, uh, caring stuff, very um, just a nature of loving, giving. And so that song was a, a song of nurturing, where closeness, where, you know, I'm not going to say anything foul about my parents. I hear other people talk that way about their mom and dad. It was kind of an American thing. And uh, being as Greek and European as I am, I just uh, it was like a pushback that, hey, guys, but parents, no matter what they do to you, they still can love you to death. And it's there. Look for the, the best things. And uh, November was uh, just a raptured moment for me to, to give thanks uh, to having a family that loved me so much and worried about me and did their very best as, you know, poor immigrants to make sure we had everything that we need and all of our needs met. And uh, that was like uh, there's a few songs that I've dedicated to my family for that. Like uh, one for my mom, a song for Lisa. That's also on the album because her name was Lisa. And um, this, the song just came together. And I think it was blessed by God. It just had that beautiful melody and the Dorian modes and Lydian modes in there. And uh, it became very melodic and kind of pushed me as one of the first songs I ever wrote in my life to always write this way. And November would be the skeleton for all the rest of my songwriting to follow. R appreciation for my family, uh, my, my love for God. It's all in there.
but Steph would be, we were introduced through another friend that uh, said, you know, I know this really great singer and he knew I, I needed a singer who had an endless range. And Steph was that guy. I, all the, all the albums, we had nothing but a hard time finding the right singer that could sing, uh, you know, double high C. And that was Steph. And um, without the voice becoming so thin that it becomes a screech because I can't stand screeching either. So, um, but there's a lot of high notes in there on, on, on that album that, uh, oh, he, does a, he does a great job on that album. He, he yeah. And 99% of singers, they just could not cut those, right. cut those songs in the, of the range and the harmonies. So, um, he was the only guy for us. And when we played with other bands, I mean, they, the other singers in very well-known groups that came out to do albums, you all know, well, like quite Riot. Okay, they. I saw Kevin Dubrow stick his head out when Stefan started to go through his I vocal routine. Oh, he was sticking his head out. Wow, God bless him. Uh, where Kevin is with the Lord, I'm sure. But uh, he was sticking his head out, going, "Wow, what? The, I gotta follow. You know, I gotta do that. <laughs> Sing before this guy." Wow. So, um, yeah, Steph would go through these things, and probably he did it a little bit to scare all the other bands <laughs> that were all warming up before us, and. Uh, uh, I just knew we had to have them like all the other singers uh, that I'd like to talk about uh, tonight because um, they're just, uh, no matter how we got along, good, bad, or indifferent, they were all awesome singers. And I my total, I tip my hat to the respect that uh, we uh, recorded together and, and worked in a group together. And uh, very closely, uh, till the very end, we were always very close. Now, you've worked with some some awesome singers throughout your whole career. So, yeah, that's that's for sure. I was always surprised he didn't do more than than he did in the hard rock uh, realm. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, been calling. He's called me four times a night. He's coming over Sunday again. He was with us last uh, two weeks ago. But uh, I'm getting back with all my old members. I don't know why, but I just have a feeling that I, you know, they're either contacting me or uh, writing me on social media, and so inviting them over and um, mending my ways with almost everybody, like Michael O'Mara, who sang my fourth album chapter one uh we went and saw him at a show and we hugged and i could feel electricity of wow bro i'm so sorry if we ever had an argument together i love you and i was my son watched it i we were both kind of oh my gosh that, that was more than any than just a hug wasn't it oh dad you got dead you had to see it i mean uh, it's just like i'm sorry i'm sorry i i hope i've never hurt you and um, and Stefan said a thousand I'm sorry's to me. <laughs> right. We had a very big A&M record offer, and he had a terrible lawyer who who was telling him not to sign unless you get this and then get that, and it's got to be Joshua featuring Stefan Fontaine, and you got to have a limo pick him up. And I guess I I got upset, and I said no, I'm not going to do those things. And he's begged forgiveness a thousand times and asked if we could still redo it, and uh, no, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> No more touring for me. I, unless it's uh, something really huge or for the Lord, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I don't want to do that anymore. Just uh, too many. Uh, I'd rather pass on right now. I can leave all the other bands do it, but uh, I'll still record, God willing, and put more CDs out. But no more touring. So, uh, so al- album number two, Surrender. You move to another one of my real favorite singers, uh, Jeff Fenholt. Could you tell me how that album came about and your your connection with him also? That would be uh, started at uh, Hal Lindsey's church where I was a music minister over there. And uh, I'm sure you've heard Pastor Hal. He wrote The Late Great Planet Earth and a lot of other books, Satan's Alive and Well. Yeah, I'm familiar with him. Yeah. So one of the associate pastors, Wayne Coombs, uh, said, I got this really incredible singer. 
and you just got to hear him. I mean, he's just the best. I'm, I'm, oh gosh, pastor, it's okay. Thank you. I'll find a guy, you know, you're a pastor of a church. Don't worry about the rock and roll. I, I think I got it handled. Now, Josh, I'm telling you when you hear this guy, he did mm-hmm. superstar on Broadway and w- wait a minute. What he did Jesus Christ? Yeah. Yeah. He was playing the lead role. Frank, the Weber thing. Really? He goes, I'm telling you, Ian Gillen's got nothing on this guy. Absolutely. And, and then he's telling me all these other, the good and the bad. So I said, I got to meet him. I'm not worried about the bad. I can always uh, pound the heck out of somebody <laughs> if they're going to be too bad. And uh, I'll get them straight and right. But uh, he came over and he was magical. It was, there was a little aura around Jeff. I go, oh my gosh, this guy is the real thing. He's got the most beautiful voice I ever heard in my life when we met. And uh, you should have seen the recording studio when he came there, the Ted Bigvari, who signed me up with his label and brought us into his studio, Studio Orange, and in Orange County. And oh my gosh, to see his jaw drop when Jeff starts saying, okay, go ahead, just run it, I'm already ready. No vocal, no nothing, just run it. And that voice was bellowing our songs. And I, I saw his jaw drop. He just, uh, wait, where did, you, where did you find this guy? Where'd you find this guy? Jesus Christ, superstar, bro. He's he's the real thing. And so Jeff and I became very, very, very close all the way till he died, of course, and and uh, destroyed all of our hearts. It was the worst, worst thing to see a, a young man like him um, pass away. And... Um, uh, I don't want to get into that right now, but just the way that he sang the songs and, and the texture of his voice and um, becoming close brothers. And then um, he had some problem with some other guys in the band uh, in Joshua at the time, and he wouldn't work with them. And I didn't want to fire anybody. He said, uh, I can get the guys from Rainbow to, to join us. We can get Bobby Rodinelli on drums and we can get Craig Gruber on bass and we'll put together a real super group uh, with all known guys and they're, they're pros on the road. You guys that you have in your band, Josh, they're just, you know, I don't know. Uh, they're just not what I think recording material kind of guys. And so not to put anything down on them, I stuck with our guys and I, I begged him God's blessings. I couldn't do that. I was loyal to the guys in the band, especially we'd been together for years. I couldn't fire the band. So Jeff went ahead and started his own ministry. Uh, as you know, right. went all over the world. But, um, you know, when he was recording with us, uh, you know, a hero of mine that wrote The Cross and the Switchblade. I don't know if you ever heard of Nicky Cruz. Not familiar with him, no. Famous author and uh, and a, a reverend now. And uh, he was sitting there, sitting in the seat, a book that I read a hundred times from, from school, grade school. And he's standing there with a big, beautiful smile on his face, jumping up and down as I'm doing my solos. So it was a really remarkable time recording with Jeff and doing the Surrender album. It's beautiful. It was magical. It was just, uh, yeah, from a church pastor, brought Jeff into my life for a lifelong friend for me and um, always called me whenever he had anything go wrong in his life. I need to talk to my Christian brother, the only one who understands me. So it was a real honor for me to get that close to Jeff. Now, around this time, did you have Ken Tamplin in the band at some point? There was a problem. That was the problem, Jeff. Um, yeah, uh, that I won't get into, but um, Jeff had a problem with with him and another member we had, Rob Rock, had a problem, which they became buddies later on, which I'll never understand when they were working together. But I don't know, having two lead singers in the band and um, there's a, a little bit of conflict going there and it would go from Ken with Jeff to Ken with Rob. So, yeah, we had Ken for with us for a little while, and uh, I'll say nothing bad about Ken. Ken's a fine guy. He's a fine guy, just a little bit different to work with. You know, he's just he talks a lot, and some people don't like uh, constant talking and, and like 
Talk, 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 talk. Well, if you've ever seen some of his YouTube stuff. I can't. Well, I can't. I, my son showed Dad, 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 is this? He's really young, my son. Dad, is this Is this uh, Ken Tamplin? You're Ken Tamplin? Yeah, wow. Uh, <laughs> listen, I see nothing's changed. Yeah, motor, motor mouth is uh, putting him yeah, uh, wildly. You. you said it, I didn't. But yeah, I, I, don't, I don't care. <laughs> we're, 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 we're more quiet, believe it or not. We're just, uh, I love serious, stable, hard work. I love to have a crack of laugh when it's time, but when we're working, just leave the talking at home and the blah, 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 blah. I, it's just not for me. I just want to concentrate on what we're doing. Um, as being a little more serious guy, I admit that I am. And if that's bad, then, then I'm bad because I, I love being serious and concentrating on what we're doing to sound the best that we possibly can. And talking and, and goofing around, that's never been my thing. You know, if other guys want to do it, that's fine. But Jeff didn't like it at all. He got really angry about it. And uh, other guys did. So there was always a commotion uh, in that lineup of the band. And I, uh, I think we, we made it together for three years. Um, I know that's not very much time for some bands that stayed together forever. But in Joshua, I guess it's like dog years. It'd be like 21 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Tamplin is one of those guys, too, that also, you know, dabbled on both sides. He, he did backup vocals on some of the Kiss albums. I think he actually did behind the scenes vocals for Kiss. Yeah. And um, he's a great singer also. A terrific, yeah. uh, terrific talent. So I wanted to move to kind of like what is your recognized opus is your third album, Intense Defense, which is always from the time it came out to current had a huge amount of fan support. Uh, yeah. Could you tell us about that album and how you got with the, the now legendary Rob Rock, who's been yes. on? Well, that's my tearjerker album. That was the one that took 10 years to write. And I did write all those songs on there. You see other names, but they didn't do it. And um uh, uh, at the last minute, I was I got a call to Germany that we're going to hold this record up if you don't put our names on there, and I did. And um, but I wrote those songs because those songs were a, a work in progress for me for many years, incredible amount of hours, slaving over them to uh, to the point where I couldn't sleep. I was sweating. I'm sitting at the beach all day long with a pair of drumstick in my hands and the music uh, going in my ears with a little Walkman. And I'm playing the songs over and over. Now it's not a good enough. I need a better chorus. I need a better verse. I need I need better lyrics on this. And I'm just walking around 24-7 coming up with those songs that to this day I bleed in my heart for loving them. And they should be, should have been a number one album. Dieter Dirks, the producer, told me that it was going to go four or five times platinum. Uh, another producer that worked with us was Eddie Kramer. He said the same, that no way this album is going to be denied. Of course, with all the band fighting and problems, that came up, especially the last the last two months, because we were in Germany so long. I don't know. Just there was just too much arguing going between me and Rob. And Rob and I have been loving brothers till the moment we got to Germany. And then I don't know. It just uh, things just went wrong. Uh, I understand everybody wanted to get their hands into there and they want to do their own thing. But we got signed to RCA on the my songs that long before I, anybody was involved. Those were the songs I got assigned. That's what RCA loved. The German prince who signed us. This was magic, you guys. If you could, you could have only been there for the meetings to see. We're meeting at the Beverly Hills Hotel. They're bringing in Kiss's manager Howard Marks. Uh, RCA's uh, president Bob Buziak used to try to get me a record deal in the '80s. I mean, '80, 80, '81. So he's a president now. He's uh, behind this. I mean, this was going big. 
Rod McSween booking agency was booked it for an entire world tour with uh, with Wasp as a co-bill. And it was just all going awesome. And then, you know, the little problems start. And I don't know if it's people want to do their own record with their own name on it again. And I use the word again. And um, so here it came and hit me in the face. Uh, we got to do this. We got to do that if we're going to continue as this band. And I couldn't say yes to it. But to see that album stopped in its tracks and just selling what it sold. Now, once I got my hands on it and I got the rights back, it was uh, what uh, probably the 20th anniversary. I finally got the rights for that record myself and paid an awful lot of money. Uh, you know, what's going to happen now? I will never, ever sit still till that album is heard all over the world because it is the best album that's ever been written. That's my opinion. I don't care what anybody else says. Yeah, shoot me. It's the best AOR album that's ever been recorded. Oh, maybe Pink Floyd can maybe get... Nah, sorry. No, they don't have one as good. <laughs> I mean, guys, listen to the... Every song is a hit. Every song is beautiful. Rob sang his butt off. He's awesome in it. And um, coupled with the band's performance and uh, uh, the production and everything, well, the production could have been a little better. We ran out of time. We'd been there. Dieter stretched our time like he did the Scorpions. And instead of getting done in three or four months, it took a year. And so RCA said, no, we want it now. We're not the Scorpions. And so we want it now. We had 10 days to mix it. And the mix was ruined. Uh, that was a big no-no. Uh, the mix was destroyed. The production's not that great, in my opinion. Uh, what's on the 48 track will would assassinate any other production or, or a recorded album. And um, it's sitting there at his studio still. I, I'm trying to buy it, and they won't sell it to me, and they want well over a million dollars for it. Oh, wow. I would consider paying it right now because I know there's still life for that album. It's a, It will always be a, a beautiful platinum album always be 50 60 70 years from now no, it's Nobody's a great album not. it's a I, I have the uh the japanese press that came out on rca the original japanese japanese press and it, the sound i i think is good it could maybe use a drop more high end in spots but i i thought the sound on the album is is, is still, yeah at least on this cd it is everything would would make me happy if we could resurrect it and start again but uh yeah, those are the countries though. Japan and Europe are the ones that said it's the best AR album ever recorded. It's, yeah, no, it's 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 a, it's a tremendous album. I I wanted to ask you, how did you get hooked up with Tim Gert of uh, Streets fame? That's a, a a buddy of mine who recently passed away, Bob Bentrup, a drummer. Uh, we had a drummer in the band that uh, RCA had a problem with, and I uh, was really bummed about it. They, the second, actually, we picked up Eddie Kramer from the airport because he was the first uh, producer. We brought him into uh, the car, and uh, I'm with the drummer <laughs> picking him up. And he says, uh, Mr. Josh, the first thing we have to do is replace your drummer. And uh, that's Dita I said that. And I went, oh, my gosh. Uh, let me introduce you to my drummer. He's right over here. <laughs> and then, of course, the conversation stopped. But then he said, we got to get another drummer. I immediately called Bobby. And he said, uh, Josh, I got you a drummer, man. This guy was in streets. Um, he played on tour, uh, the USO tours. He played with uh, Kansas, so many bands. He's awesome. And he came, he flew in the very next day. We told him, we called him directly. He came, flew in. And uh, Eddie Kramer was there going, you found your drummer, boys. You found your drummer. Oh, yeah, no, he's terrific. That's where I was, I mean, I knew him from streets. I was always curious how you got in touch with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. And he became uh, my my ally and best friend in the band, actually. He stuck stuck by me to, to the death, uh, even when we were splitting up at the end there and the guys, uh, the other three members turned down the tour. 
much, I'm sure, to their, I'm sure they wouldn't do it today if we had it all over again. You never walk away from a, a, a major recording budget or major recording album. You never do a thing like that. That's very silly. Yeah. And no matter what happened, I'm sure everybody is sorry for what they did because, uh, you know, to leave uh, a major record deal like RCA, which is the biggest label in the world, and go to what? Indie labels that's never going to amount to anything it would be kind of stupidity. But um, anyway, so yeah. And again, and again, I have to add one of my favorite album covers. This is the second album that you, I love this album cover. It's a classic. And I'll tell you about that, Davey. You remember now, help me with this one, son. Norbert Losch, is that it? He's uh, one of the biggest artists in Germany. And he, he came over and all of his artwork was pretty ostentatious. I mean, off the charts. Dieter always hired the best, but he wanted to give me a bunch of covers that were very secular and very, ah, that's a little bit too artsy-fartsy for me, bro. Please show me another one. And he went through about 15, and I'm going, oh, no, Dieter's going to think I'm just driving the guy crazy. Everything is so secular. Oh, and I got to get in an argument with Dieter about the, the cover of the art. And uh, he didn't have to write put the Lord on there and, and a cross and everything, but I know that's what Dieter's going to think. Mm-hmm. And finally, the last 15th picture he shows me, what do you think of this? And there it was. And I just, I just, oh my gosh, that's it. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, I, it's... I'm, I'm a huge fan of the, the eagle, uh, the, the bird. I just, I love yes, that. Yes, I am that too. Imagery, that's, yeah, yeah that I am, I am as well. There's a whole story behind that. I don't know if we're going to get into it tonight, but uh, the eagle, it started from, of course, the first album because I'm a patriot to the max. I love this country with all my heart. Saved my family from dying death. Uh, Greece was starving to death at the time when my parents came here. And I'm so grateful for the, the best side of America, the, the good things, not the, not the weird stuff and mm-hmm. the ugly and right. whatever's going on. But I'm a patriot. And I just said, you know what? God and, and, and the eagle, they're one. And it's even in the Bible spoken about. That's got to yeah. be on everything, on every album. And I told this Norbert that. And uh, please, you know, and I, he asked me, the biggest thing is, what's your favorite song and what's it about? And I told him it was uh, the, the song that identifies this band at that time and this whole album is Only Yesterday. And then he will tell you what it's about. And I got in depth about what Only Yesterday is, how America used to be a strong, powerful, unified country, so conservative. So watch mm-hmm. old movies and you will never understand mm-hmm. when you see movies today. You see, oh, oh, Manny, you're swell. Gee whiz, Robbie, thank you. I mean, okay, we don't have to be cornball, but that's the greatest country in the world. Right. Okay, whatever we d- diluting to, the bottom line is this was the greatest country in the world, and I love that part of America, and it's so godly, and just, uh, when I was in Europe, everybody, oh, yes, all Americans, you all uh, believe in God. Yeah, we know, we know. Yeah, that's right. Like it or lump it, baby. So, um, I just had to unify the two together and he did it with only yesterday and how America's falling. And I, and it shows the Eagle chipping away. Uh, you can see that's being from sin. And on the other side is the man, naked man sitting there. Um, I got that from Christians. Oh my God, you don't like it. It's got a butt and you put up with other Christian albums that, that blaspheme God's name. Mm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but anyway, so the butt stays, as Dieter said it, because I told him, can you just take the, the crack away? He goes, no, the butt stays. <laughs> we were arguing about that. But um, no, so, uh, and because of man, uh, the, the eagle, Amer- being representative of America and its military, you see the weapons on the yep, eagle and all yep, that. Absolutely. And I stand by that. Only yesterday we were strong. Where has it gone? Yeah. And uh, please don't continue in the way you're going. And uh, we're all going to be very, very sorry because 
where much is uh, where God is given so much blessing, much is expected, and nobody's been given the blessing. We've never had a really a war on our shore where we fight another country, never, you know. And um, um, besides civil war, or Mexico, whatever, we've never really had any war here. And so that's the ultimate blessing to have two oceans protect us, and and not have a natural enemy north or south. So we should be so. And every mineral in the world is here. And uh, the Germans can't even get helium. They've blown up a bunch of bal- balloons, uh, and we got helium everywhere. I know. And they have to use hydrogen explosives. We're so blessed. Please thank God every day. You are where you are in the greatest country in the world. And don't keep doing only yesterday because you're going to be sorry. Yeah. And so th- that's the cover. I'm sorry if I went on too long. No, but That's okay. We're, we're, first of all, we're with you 100%. Yeah, we are sure. both oh, patriots and God-fearing men ourselves. Yeah. So ah, amen. We are, amen. We are with you 1,000% and have no problem <laughs> saying it. Right. Oh, thanks. Thanks a lot. And uh, so only yesterday became the the the... the the call for me and then that album too. And, uh, Oh my gosh, it's, I just, I, I think about those songs in that album and, and the magic that when we were there recording and we were giving a Mercedes to drive anywhere we wanted and to go meet management companies. We had three gourmet meals a day. We were staying in the Scorpion chalet. Uh, we each have a maid, uh, you know what I mean? I mean, that's like, it was magic. How can we argue? <laughs> I, I don't understand. I, I was just there, you know, Doing what the Dieter told me, uh, Dieter kind of made me, Dieter Dirks from the Scorpions, he kind of made me the fall guy. I want this and I want that. Yavo, you will do this. You make sure that Eddie Kramer, uh, all the drums have to be uh, electrically fired off like the Scorpions, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's okay. So I'm doing it. And then, of course, the producers, I'm the producer, you're the producer, but I'm just telling you what Dieter wants and you better do it. And he goes, well, I want to do what I want to do. And he's screaming at me. He runs out in the middle of the night in the snow. Oh, my gosh. And uh, now the band's all looking at me. I'm the bad guy. And I said it sweet to him. I didn't even yell nothing. He was having a divorce with his wife, so he got very emotional. Uh, he's screaming in another room with a, a soundproof room, but we could see him in there with the, through the glass, and his veins were coming out of his head. So he was, he was d- very hampered. And, of course, our luck, he was doing it during our thing. So that's why we began uh, that album again under Dieter Dirks's uh, complete uh, supervision and that Eddie got fired. He'd never been fired ever in his life. You know, I mean, he did Kiss and Jimmy Hendrix and uh, the Stones. He, uh, he had 225 bands on his list that he showed me a resume. And it's the first time he ever got fired, of course, my luck. But, um, you know, but uh, I just was kindly telling uh, Eddie, please, Eddie, you better fire off the Simmons, whatever you do, please. I know you, you want Tim to play on the acoustics, and I agree. But Dieter wants also you to put the Simmons on there. Please just do that. And that's getting screamed at, and the band sees this. So I'm the bad guy, and that's why that band broke up. And I'll, I will challenge anybody to tell me anything else. I was loving to my guys. I split my publishing with everybody in the band. They gave us a $325,000 advance. I split it five ways and um, didn't even look back or nothing. Everybody got paid. And uh, they were that was on my songs. And I didn't mind sharing it as long as there was, you know, loyalty, which I didn't think I had whatsoever except from Tim. But, uh, you know, again, I, I swear I forgive everybody that was then. Uh, not now. And, uh, you know, uh, guys were young, you know, they're full of piss and vinegar, even though they say they're Christians. And you understand that. Well, that, but, that, um, that album was your shot because you had the big time singer, you had the big time drummer. Big. 
you had the songs. Yeah, obviously, Song. obviously had the guitar playing. Producers. Uh, the yeah. producer, the album cover. It was it was the full Monty. So cool. I mean, and the biggest uh, biggest product uh, production company uh, in Europe, and the biggest booking agency in the world uh, handling us. And uh, still, the guys walked away. And the biggest label to this day, RCA. Yeah. And we couldn't keep it together to go out on the road. And as we, the me and Tim, both 100%, uh, when we were asked by Howard Marks, uh, Josh, you going to go on tour? I went, absolutely, ready to go. Yes, Tim. Quote from Tim. Ask him. Uh, my bags are packed, Howard. I'm ready to go now. And then the other three guys, well, I'm going to do what Rob is going to do. And then the other guy, uh, is that other band called Wasp, the keyboard player? Uh, yeah, they have racks and stuff on stage. I don't think I want to go with them. Well, I was going to say, how, how was, what were your thoughts and feelings about that at that point when you say, hey, we're, we're offered the Wasp tour? What did happen? I witnessed a blackie. Uh, I, I heard he's relapsed, but he accepted Jesus Christ and oh, yeah. became a Christian. I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to witness to those guys mm-hmm. every doggone day till they get till they admit the Lord Jesus Christ is their savior, which blackie did. You know, okay. and said, so, oh, you know, and we've done it to other bands. I have anyways, lots of other bands and, and, and got them uh, felt the power of God and they've changed their way. Another band that we played with was Medusa. They went out with racks and stuff. I just told them you can't use those when we play together, but you leave all that stuff down and uh, then we can go out and play together. But all you do is a witness and you, and you and you just show other people, teach them. Maybe they didn't have a mom and dad to help them to be a good witness and show it from your heart with love. Don't be a jerk about it. Don't be arrogant. There was a time before I, I think I met you when you didn't know the Lord whatsoever till you joined Joshua, and you were that way too. So give a give the next guy a break, man. Go and, and teach him. There's no reason a Christian should tell a secular guy that uh, oh we can't be with you. We're better than you. That's that's not true. Yeah. Well, you're right. At that period, Wasp had, uh, or Blackie Lois, I should say, had changed yeah. his songwriting approach and his stage. They, they took a lot of that, you know, what was going on on stage yeah, off. It was the headless ch- children period. And you could tell he got more, much more serious and introspective with his songwriting. Yes, at that absolutely. Time. Yeah. I actually think that's the best album. We were just talking about that recently. Uh, and um, so what I wanted to ask you is, so now you have this really big band that you thought was going to make it. And it kind of morphs into, is Empire or Jaguar? Well, yeah, well, no, I wanted to ask you about yeah, that. Yeah, Mark yeah, has some questions you, about that. I hope everybody hears this. There was never an empire. There was never a Jaguar. We didn't play one show under those names. Uh, it was just to keep a little piece in the band because there was such irrevocable damage done to the name Joshua uh, on the third album to, to have all the things that we just discussed together, all of that power in a $1.1 million deal. I think it's the biggest deal in the history of L.A., other than Van Halen, I don't know. I don't think they had that much, but RCA made it very clear to me we had the biggest budget uh, in in their history for a, a freshman band for that label. And uh, even though we were together by eight years by then, they still consider us a freshman uh, a late a freshman deal for RCA, anyways. Even though it was our third album, and uh, they said they didn't give that kind of money to Elvis or any of their other acts, the Scorpions. They didn't get anywhere near the money that we got. It's, it's always been in my heart is, wow, what a blessing from God that I will take that to my grave. We've outdone the very best. And we did it with our little nobody band, Joshua. It's, it's great. So anyways, the, the word got around. This is their third album. They broke up again. 
they're bad luck. Uh, the, the the guitarist is the leader. He must be a, a Nazi or or beats his guys up, or which has never happened. Um, so we couldn't keep the name, and everybody's coming up with names, and they were ridiculous, all of them. And so, uh, okay, to keep peace in the band and the new lineup I had, I wanted to show the guys. All right, what do you guys want to call it? Call it what you want. The the five poops, uh, the the five stars, and the dingleberries, whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know, fine. But by the time we get a deal, <laughs> I didn't tell them it's going to go back to Joshua again. You know, but I, you know, my attorney Stan Diamond, he was the biggest uh, sign attorney signing record deals all over L.A. at the time. He told me to also do the same. Just cover up for a while. Whatever you got to do, change it back to Joshua the second you sign the deal, whatever. But at least if you have a deal, maybe the guys in your next lineup won't run away. And I, yeah, I know. I'll be really careful. And I found a great band in that fourth band. All the guys, I love them to this day. They're my best friends. It's just that um, at the end, we were together what, six, six, seven years. And uh, there were so many problems with the recording industry by then. We're talking the 90s. You know it's the death mm-hmm. of Oh, yeah, yep. 95 to 2000. Yeah. Don't let anyone else fool you. I, I know everybody in the biggest signed bands, and they're hardly making money. So there's only 10 bands. They're, you know, the Stones or the Beatles, anybody that was in the Beatles. They're making money, and, and maybe Bon Jovi and two others. Nobody else is making the kind of money that I can live in Redondo Beach and keep my home and pay for my kid and my insurance. And I, nobody's making that kind of money. And I know all my ex-members are all broke. Uh, they can tell me what they want. I know nobody's making any money, not in the music business. That's why I tell you what we, you know, we're, I'm with my son with exotic cars because we like to have a nice life now. Enough with just sacrificing for the music. Now, you know, it's time. I'm older. I want to have the nice things I didn't have before. And so um, I just said, fine, whatever, guys, let's just do this thing and you call it what you want. So, of course, with the Internet, that went out everywhere. There was no empire. There was no, I don't know, we had a hundred other different names. Um, yeah, we put it out. I let them put the CD out, but I quickly changed it uh, just as soon as uh, we got uh, interest in the band. I put, put it right back to for the real label. It went right back to Joshua Parachia. Um you know, I didn't want it to be, but the, the, then the label actually told me, you know what, with the internet now, there's a thousand Joshua's in case you haven't been noticing. Everyone's using that name. The confusion's ridiculous. So please add your, la- oh, no, man, I just wanted to be Joshua, please. And I can't, I can't put the money into the group and have confusion. So we, we added the second name because Joshua was really the name of Jesus, not my name. I just wanted the band to be called Jesus, Yeshua which is Joshua and not, not me, just a, a coincidental. My name is also the same. It wasn't named after me. I'm telling you it was named after the Lord. And so when he told me he wanted my last name in there, it gut wrenched me to, to, to take it. But I did. Cause we're not, I'm not going to go touring a, some band called empire. I mean, what that's silly. Cause they were everybody's favorite band. When I was working with those guys was the band that put out the album empire would be in Queensryche. And so, um, you know, I just knew that was silly. Come on, guys, we're not going to do that. And then, then, you know, the label actually said, yeah, that's the way it's going to be. Take or leave. And everyone agreed. OK, all right. So um, then we went back to that name. So, no, it's always been either Joshua or Joshua Parachia. No big deal other than that. So then on the on the follow up album, Something to Say, then, right, it was it was your full name was the band. Yes. Right. Which is a terrific album. If you could tell us a little bit about uh, some of this, you had some big name singers on this album. His songs were terrific. 
Well, it's another Moneybags album. It had M&K uh, Records. Um, it was actually M&K, the audio company, that uh, was putting out these $10,000 5.0 systems, 5.1, um, uh, Miller Chrysel. And they heard the the album, uh, they heard my demo that I was doing, and they fell in love. And actually, one song got us, uh, when he heard the song, One Night Is Not Enough, he just heard that song, and he was flipping out right here in my home, in my studio, just flipping out. Did, whose song is that? Well, the song is, I wrote that. You wrote that song, and I, it took me 15 minutes to convince him. I promise you, I wrote that song. No, no, that's that's a songwriting couple, of, or Brian Adams, or somebody who's been doing it for 50 years. There's no way you wrote that by yourself. And so, you know, you know I'm not sitting here bragging forever, but to find somebody who was that uh, freaking out over the writing and stuff, I knew that I had to work with uh, with Ken Chrysell and Chrysell Miller. And so um, he took us to the best studio, uh, Goodnight L.A., with Keith Olsen, who did everybody, whoever had a platinum record from Sammy Hagar to Hart to um, White Snake to um, uh, the, with the biggest album, I, I think, in the world. Uh, I think he worked with uh, also he worked with Fleetwood Mac, the Fleetwood Mac album. I mean, uh, to see all of that stuff there hanging all over his walls, platinum albums, 10 times. Um, and he's the one that said, uh, I want an album full of ballads. Oh, ask me anything, Keith. Please don't ask me to do that. We got to have some rockers. And he said, nah, I'm telling you, my name's going on there. And rock and roll is dead. I hate to tell you the bad news. Metal, rock, 80s is dead, dead. Even even the Seattle, dead. You have to go all the way now and just give me a nice uh, bunch of uh, great ballads that you have. And so I, I wrote some extra songs really quickly that would slow it up a little bit more ballady. And if it was a rocker, I, it would have to have a pretty long periods of breakdown to where Keith was happy. And he was happy with everything I wrote. So um, that was very put together last minute. It was very rushed. And uh, yes, we, he did grab some songs from some of my other, uh, some of my other albums and asked to fix them up a little bit. He said, this is a terrific song. It should be redone. But it's still, there's enough, there's enough songs never been heard before to qualify it as an LP. And, and uh, it's a lighter album. Uh, again, he wants melody as number one. And, uh, he knows Melody is my middle name. Lots of people out there scream in the Christian industry, we're melodic, we're melodic. I still haven't heard a band that has melodic songs. You, I, I ask everybody, send them to me, please. I will, I'll be glad to, to help you out, show you here where it's not this, and that's where you lose the melodic. Show you by the one, three, four, seven uh, theory that I have about how you get a melodic song and how the bouncing ball, like if you used to listen to Mitch Miller, it was a TV show way back in the, 60s and your bouncing ball you has to be sing-songy you know you can put big drums and get the boom boom in there but to do the melodic there is a very special way that the human brain breaks things down to melody and sweetness and not harshness or just blues or just um, just ramming uh, notes down your throat there's melody and that's the secret to to brian adams secret to, to journey foreigner boston kansas I'm still waiting for a Christian band to come out. And what for me, I'm sorry, I don't mean any insult to anybody, but show me that you are in the league of bands like that because that's really special music, the secular bands that, that have got heavy hit songwriters, Fleetwood Mac. you got dangerous writers on there, the Beatles. Listen to the music and see what you guys are deviating. You're not really finding that, um, that beautiful climb where the song it has a half tone down or now you're going a, a double tone or a, an octave up where it should be. And then 
with a monstrous singer, because that's what you always need as part of the equivalent. You have to have that singer like Rob, like Van Holt, like Stefan, and uh, to hit those notes and be able to do that full four, four octave range. And um, then you got your melodic formula. It's ready to go. And I still haven't heard any band with those beautiful songs that are that it's my taste anyways i i thought white heart had had a period of time where they were there in, in the early to mid 90s uh that would be one christian band that i would say was really putting out some high-end albums at one point that comes to mind okay okay i trust you i, I bet you i bet you it's great i bet you it is it's just that uh, for me when there's a whole album I cannot stand filler songs. If I ever have a filler song, one of my songs that I thought was a filler uh, on my, my fourth album that I didn't want to put on there was right on target. It's a real heavy motorcycle, powerful song. And I, I said, no, I had to fight with the band. The whole band voted against me. They all wanted it on there. I wrote the song and guys, I was just, I was joking around. I was actually kind of making fun of what I thought LA band sound like. No, yeah, you got to have it on there. And they uh, all went again. And the producer went again. He said, yeah, yeah, no, it's cool. You need an energy song. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why did I do that? I was just kidding, guys, really. But it's just not my thing. I want be no fillers. And they all got to be just beautiful. Just, you know, that some country will call me and say, can we have it for our national anthem? It's just got to be something like that. Really, really awesome. And uh, too many bands just maybe they have one hit on there. It's hard to write hit songs. I mean, you know the one hit wonders. There's so many bands out there, even secular. They only have one great song in the album. They got signed on yes. the one song. Yes. Sure, absolutely. Very, very hard to write a, a really great, great song. So people have, have attacked me for, oh, how can you talk like that? Oh, you're just mean. No, I'm not mean. It's just that tell my brain to be happy when they hear it. Because guys are always playing me their songs like, oh, my God, have mercy. That's horrible. It's not pretty, man. More than a feeling is beautiful or, mm -hmm. you know, it's something, uh, anything by journey, you know, uh, never my love. Something that's just beautiful, man. It just it, it knocks you out. Highway run. It's just from the second you heard the first notes from Steve Ferry's mouth. Oh, that's awesome. And then how about the Scorpions? Do they ever write a bad song? All of their music is is ostentatiously beautiful. Because that's well, how up to about 1986. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about after that, but I, I'd, I'd be yeah. yeah I'd it's be a savage amusement. The reason why we were so late going into this because of that last album of theirs with Dieter. Yes, but uh, they had some other songs though that uh, yeah. No, the they had radios. I mean, I, I'm a big '70s Scorpio Scorpions guy. A, 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 a Yuli freak. So. Even, yes. even their stuff into the early 80s, as much as I did like it, I didn't feel like it was on par with the Yuli John Roth stuff, but that that's just me. So I, I wanted to talk to you about uh, Mark Bowles. We had him on the podcast a couple of months ago. Great guy. No. One of the best guests we ever had. A terrific guy. I love him. And, I love him. Uh, how did you get hooked up with him on the Resurrection album? Again, Bobby Bentrup, the, my buddy who passed away, um, he... Uh, told me, uh, I played him my demo, and I said, you know, man, I, what do you think of this guy? And Because I, I, I don't know what to do. And he goes, oh, Josh, you can't use that guy. You're known for your best singers. You can't use this guy that went on tour with you. Here, I got a guy for you. His name is Mark Bowles. I went, yeah? And he said, let me play this. And he played it on the phone. I go, oh, my gosh, on the phone. I could hear it. Oh, my God, really? You don't? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll turn him on. You'll be glad. At least you, you can do something. Give him a bless him with something. And uh, it's more than I can do. You got a deal just, you know. And so I offered Mark the gig 
And it, for intense defense, I mean, for the third album, there we had it was between Mark, uh, without a doubt, and and also um, Rob, Rob Rock. And you know, I didn't know Rob at the time, so uh, I don't want to say how we voted, but the the band was split. And so, um, anyways, I always wanted to work with Mark, and so he went on and did an Ingve thing. Anyways, I guess it was after that. But um, then I just thought again when this album came out, I said, you know what? What singer can I use? It's got the fat, thick voice, but got the killer high end. And the only voice I could think of was Mark. And I, I did an audition, and I believe it or not, there's a lot of singers. I'll never say their name, but everybody tried out. Uh, everybody tried out for this one. And I'm talking guys from big sign bands. I'm talking to Jimmy Jameson from uh, Survivor. And I got guys from Australia. If that brings up any ideas. And other people I shouldn't say, but guys that have been in Rainbow and Sabbath and whatever. Um, and uh, Mark just always stuck out to me. So he came down and we worked uh, the whole arrangement out with him. And I just had to have him on this. And oh, oh my gosh, that album. Yes. Mark just took it up a thousand other notches. Yeah, he did. He did. He's a terrific singer and a terrific guy, too. Yes, yes. And the producer even said to me, he goes, you know, Josh, I hate to say it, but what? Well, what, nothing bad, right? Wynn Davis, uh, you know, he did Wynn did everybody also and, and that came from this area, Motley Crue and you know, Dawkin and whatever. He says, um, I know what you're going for here. You wanted uh, Dio in the band, didn't you? <laughs> why, why, well, I'm telling you, Mark here, and he's tapping a pencil on his soundboard, and my son is with me as a witness. He's in the room, and he says, he's better than Dio. I'm like, oh, well, uh, they're both great. They're both great. How can you say it? Say it. He goes, no, no, no. This man is better than Dio. How did you find him? He was freaking out. And this is a guy who's heard every band that's ever come out of L.A., from Y&T to whatever. And he's just, he was marveled over Mark. Well, you also had uh, you also had Scott Warren involved in that project. Scott right? Warren from Talk, yeah, talking from about Sabbath. Dio. It wasn't Dio, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it wasn't Dio and Sabbath. Uh, he played in Black Sabbath off the side of the stage. Yep, he did. That's right. But uh, yeah, and uh, he gave me a lot of sounds from those bands. I asked for them specifically, so I said maybe some of those sounds can do some of the Lord's work this time. I would uh, chide him a little bit, but. <laughs> But to bring a little bit more Lord in your life, Scotty. And so, um, yeah, he was wonderful. He was an awesome player, double harmonies with me. And I would do it because we were running out of time. So I just instead of seconding my guitar, I said, come on, you jump in here with me. And we did this. And he was right there with me on every note. So, uh, yeah, he's a remarkable player. Nice. Well, like, let's t- we've talked about music all night. And I know you touched on it a couple times about the the classic car uh, passion that you have with your son. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Cause I'm sitting across the table from a guy. Tom is a, uh, is a big muscle car guy himself. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about that, that part of let's your talk life. About the that, road runner. Yeah. Talk about that passion you have. Well, uh, it started, uh, when I was about 12, 13 years old, uh, I was, uh, living in a, what do we call a little rougher neighborhood. And so I wanted to like get away and cars were the thing that could help me get away far away so I could be a little healthier. And a buddy of mine had this, um, 64 Dodge Coronet or whatever, Coronet Polaro, one of those B body, uh, B body cars. And, uh, he had, um, pretty, I think he had a 440 in it. So we went around and I just was so blown away by the Mopars and the Hemis and, we started going to drag races and stuff, and I just uh, see this amazing engine, the the Chrysler Hemi, and that's the thing that just got me on fire as a, as a child, getting into them and following 
drag racing and then went to car shows. My brother had a show car. So and now I'm starting to go to car shows. And then when I was uh, 15 years old and got my first car, uh, my parents, of course, weren't, uh, didn't have the kind of money to help me. So I had this junker Pontiac that I drove around in till it exploded. So uh, we got a loan and I did all the stuff. I couldn't afford a Cuda. That what I really wanted. So um, we found a Barracuda that the uh, Prince Chrysler Plymouth would part with uh, after my, my brother got in there, started screaming at him, drop that price down as low as possible. And I converted it from my own hands into a full-blown Cuda. I pulled out the engine, the transmission, put a racing transmission, a built 440 in it, they did a killer paint job on it, flared fenders and all this stuff and saw how loving of a thing this could be with my hands because I love doing work with my hands coming from my family and working on this car morning, noon and night when I'm not in school. It was my release and uh, even made me feel better after, uh, you know, music things went wrong. I would just get into the car just to just to let everything out of me. And uh, uh, the Mopars that led the way. And then uh, once I had my son and he, he got into F1 racing and all that, he kind of drugged me back into it again. I used to love Nicky Lauda in the Ferrari days and always loved Ferraris. So I started getting more and now into foreign cars and, and the exotics. And so, yeah, we want to sell Ferraris and Porsche and, and uh, high-end BMWs, M3s and stuff like that. And uh, the power and, and all of that stuff, it just was perfect for me. So my son, he became car crazy. And the two of us, it was just too much in one house. And so, uh, yeah, the cars just changed our life. And I just uh, actually, the cars replaced the music for me. Uh, and um, it was just so perfect, such a perfect fit, and it was so much business. And then I importing, exporting cars like that, and you could make more money than uh, probably any band, really any secular band, probably a month uh, selling cars. You could make as much as any uh, secular band would even make. And I know it without naming any names. What guys told me what they made in a month, and uh, we surpassed them. So I just had to do the car thing uh, instead. Of, you know, I don't have to kill myself. To, and I'm not, surely not going to sell out in the music and change my thing for God in the world is not ready for a Christian band in the secular market. I, I think I'm the closest one to get there. No other Christian band ever had a major record deal. So I thought, well, if, I, if nobody else can get I'm one of the only ones that ever got it. Uh, as I've even told by the labels, they would never sign a Christian band. Um, this was the right way for me to go. I'm just going to do the cars full speed ahead and not have to worry about anything else. And, uh, uh, with Davey by my side, it's just uh, it's a it's, it's a pleasure, and uh, he enjoys it, and and we just everybody sees us always together. We just go everywhere and picking up a Porsche here, and you know other guys they work so hard to buy one. You know we might have ten of them, so it's just it just built bigger and bigger, and just got to the point where you just couldn't turn your back and say no. And I've been offered now tours and stuff, and I'm not interested. It just it, it's not really the money I'm turning down. I, I don't want to bother with the rest of it. But uh, no matter what they pay, uh, uh, three days in the car business is, is more than a month in the music. Uh, I don't know how my buddies still want to do it. I mean, how, how do they support their families and, and in a country like this, you know, unless they're on entitlements? But um, I would never take entitlement from anybody anyways. I, I want to make my own steam. And uh, my son's the same way. He would never take a dollar from anybody unless it was through his own work with his own hands. And uh, we're just a perfect little team together. And. I'm looking for a nice place to build them where he could do exotics from here in LA. And, uh, that's our next dream Nice uh, to get really nice, beautiful place for my son to be set for life in. But, uh, yeah. And then we have a roadrunner a 71 roadrunner. He, he, I love the Cuda of course, but Davey says, now nah, dad, come on, let's get a roadrunner. 
Well, I'm going to say no. So we got a 71 Plymouth Roadrunner, and uh, we've had it at uh, 17 car shows, and we won first place in all 17. Wow. So built the engine myself and uh, got uh, a racing transmission in it and uh, chromed everything and uh, white leather, and it's that shiny bright green on the outside, electric green, sassy grass green, and uh, we still do car shows together. So basically, we're together 24-7. And uh, I, there's nobody else's company that uh, could mean more to me. He's just uh, the perfect, perfect son. And the pride of his school, his teachers all love him. He said, oh, you're David's father. Whoa, I, come on here. Let me shake your hand. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess he's being a good boy. And, oh, my, he's the best kid in the class. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very I'm very proud of him. This uh, My crowning achievement is having my son. Very nice. My, mine as well. Isn't it great? Yes. Isn't it great? It, it yes. beats everything else. How old is your son? He just, uh, he's 24 now. He's about to turn 25. So, yeah. Okay. My son's, my son's 22. Oh, cool. 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 I know sometimes the way I talk, everyone thinks he's going to be seven or eight years old, but I, I probably baby him a little bit too much. And, uh, they want him to go to any place unless I know it's going to like so my mom and dad and me, um, you know, unless he's going to be okay. And, uh, you, you need a little, little muscle to come with you. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. 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 I know. I know it's beautiful. I just thank God for him. And, uh, so blessed. I mean, we're still living in Redondo beach. Everybody I know has moved away. It's so expensive to live here. I just thank God to, to, to live in the Southern California near the ocean and, and have a beautiful home and family. And, uh, wow. I mean, I could, I couldn't ask for more. And, I know the music. Well, my prayer is somebody in a movie is going to give me a shot at a movie and we're going to finally hear these albums in, in the big screen. Cause I see some very second rate. Uh, my son calls them biopics. It's a true stories. I mean, about soldiers and this thing or, or, or car Ferrari versus Ford. And, and it's okay. You know, but I think the, the fire that we had in Joshua between the uh, insane fights and, uh, and um, uh, roadies, you know, we had 20 roadies and in, in, in moving 300 tons a year. No band has ever done it in L.A. history. We were band of the year in L.A. and Music Connection magazine. And we move 80 million tons a year. Uh, my PA, I still own it. And it took gigantic moving trucks to move in our 20 roadies. And nobody went through all that. I, it was just such an incredible time. And the 80s, late 70s and 80s were such a beautiful period you know, not the video area that we have now, but uh, everybody, you know, that love music, that concerts, KLOS radio, and you had a rainbow thing with what band that you loved. And those days are gone. It's completely gone. Completely gone. Yeah. So when I see it all over uh, media, social media, well, what are you guys doing? You got, are you still live at home with your mom and dad? Okay, how do you, how can you do that and pay your bills? I mean, certainly you can't do that. Pay your bills and live in Southern California. I don't think so. I don't think so. Because <laughs> um, you know, wow, it's, everything is so expensive nowadays. And so, uh, yeah, you got you got to work hard. And uh, you know, I don't I don't want to live poor. I'm, I mean, I'm a spoiled brat, I guess. Uh, my parents worked so hard to give us a nice life, and and we moved up, moved up. I want to move up a few more notches and uh, you know, bless others. You know, bless my church and stuff. And so. Uh, yeah, and that takes money. People can say, "Well, you know, I live, you know, uh, more commercial. I mean, non-commercial life, and live uh, much more, you know, uh, reserved." And well, no, I want my boy to have everything, and I want, you know, we need to make money. So, yep. thus, thus the car. So, God forgive me if 
we don't worship money or anything. And I don't like when I hear people talk about money making and becoming rich and all that's nothing to do with me, but uh, we're doing what we love. And that's the best thing. If you, you're not working, if you're doing what you love. Right. And exactly. so, and I'm with my son. So yeah. Amen. Yeah, definitely. That's yeah, great stuff. Well, Joshua, Hey, uh, Tom and I really appreciate this time tonight. Um, great conversation. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, oh, I did. yeah, it was, it was great talking to you and, uh, we appreciate it. Uh, before we let you go, uh, any, anything coming up? I know you said you're kind of not in that headspace anymore, but any, anything musically that, that might be happening? Yeah, I'm still writing songs. I'm just trying to come up with something that uh, is still viable. I don't want to write things that no people want to listen to. And I, I want to write, you know, with the Christian world, they're already saved. They're already I'm hoping and praying that everybody's listening to Christian bands. They're already going to churches and stuff. And so they, I want to go to the sick. I want to go to the seculars that never heard of God and write for them. And because and, they're the ones that need the most help. And they're the ones that are important to me. Not some of you already know, you know, the, where a lot of Christian bands I know, they just play in churches and they go to church church um, type of facilities and, and go to church shows. And that's fine. But for me, I'd rather go to a full on secular place and, and which I saw work with our band. I saw it happen throughout all Europe where we took uh, these really dark festivals and we turned it into light with our music and, and, and proclaimed God's name. And we didn't get anything thrown at us because the songs were happening and that turned everybody over. So yes, I'm working on, on songs right now that the secular world would like, and they will tolerate the little things that I do throw in there. It's very clearly about the Lord and everybody knows that I'm into that anyway. So um, yeah, I'm working on some stuff right now that I hope can uh, turn into either a movie or a special album. Okay, great. Nice. Well, where can uh, where can people keep up to date on on your happenings? You have a social media website. Yeah, social media. That's the best thing. Um, I'm probably more into uh, what Facebook Meta, whatever they call it. Um, I, I would put any postings there if something's happening, or in Twitter or in Instagram. Okay, great. All right. Well, hey, uh, Tom and I again, we appreciate it, and uh, thanks for your time tonight. My pleasure. God bless you both of you guys. Thank you so Take much. Care. Yes, you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. You betcha. Bye-bye, guys. Take care.